I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We'll read up to chapter 10, verse 2. It's on page 842. If Jesus were here today, I wonder what he would say to us. Would he be thankful that we're here? Would he be impressed with our presence? Or would he tell us to leave? That's the question we're thinking about this morning. I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word together. Luke 9, verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go back and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim God's kingdom. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seats. So in our story today, Jesus is walking along the road and he meets a few people and it feels like Jesus is pretty harsh on these people. The first guy comes up and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now this man doesn't maybe know it, but Jesus in verse 51, it says he had resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He had intentionally set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen there knowing that he was going to be rejected by the people, knowing that he was going to be abandoned by his followers, knowing that he was going to be mistreated, he was going to be beaten, he was going to have the crown of thorns pressed on his head, he was going to be crucified and killed. I follow you wherever you go, this man says, and Jesus answers him, there's difficulty when you follow me. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. For me, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. There's difficulty, there's hardship, there's suffering when you follow me. Another guy's there and Jesus says to him, follow me. And and the man says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now on the surface, this seems like a reasonable request, but the reality is if this man's father was already dead, he probably wouldn't be standing there listening to Jesus. If his father was already dead, he would be tending to the burial receiving visitors at home, taking care of the food and and, uh, the other logistics. So the fact that he's there with Jesus, but he says, first let me bury my father, in all likelihood he's saying, Lord, it doesn't fit very well into my schedule right now. Lord, it's not very convenient for me right now to follow you, but, but someday I will. Let me come later. Let me follow later. Right now I have more important things to do. And Jesus tells him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You change your priorities. 
Stop thinking about that which is temporary and start thinking about that which lasts forever. And there's a third guy standing there and he says, Lord, I'll follow, but, but first just let me run home and say goodbye. Now as a family who's been through way too many goodbyes, I can appreciate this guy's request. They tell us goodbyes are important. He just wants to say goodbye to his family. And it feels really harsh, but Jesus says, nobody who puts his hand to the plow, nobody who, who grabs hold of it and says, yes, I'm going to take this, I'm going to do this, and then looks back, is fit for service in God's kingdom. Now, those are not words of eternal condemnation, but Jesus is just saying, nobody who says, yes, I'll do this, but then has a divided heart. A divided mind. Nobody who's, who's trying to plow forward while at the same time thinking about what they gave up. That person's not going to thrive in his service to God's kingdom. Now, why was Jesus so harsh with these people? I mean, in the verses just before this, from verse 52 up to verse 56, Jesus he was in Galilee. He needed to go south to Jerusalem. He needed to pass through Samaria. And it says the Samaritans were hostile to him. They were hostile to his followers. They did not welcome him or his people or his message. And now we have three people that seem pretty interested in following him. And Jesus just simply basically tells them, sorry, I don't think you have what it takes. So why was Jesus so harsh on these people? It's because the task that Jesus was going to give to his followers was so great, so important, that Jesus refused to entrust it to people who were only 90% committed. The task that he was about to give. He knew he could not entrust it to people who were only 95% committed. In chapter 10, it says, The Lord appointed 72 others, and he appointed them to go out to the places where he was about to come. To get those places ready for his coming. Now, I can't help but see the parallels in that with the work he's given us to do today. Soon, we don't know when, but soon he's coming. Soon he's going to visit every community in the world. And he has given us the very same task he gave to those 72 go and prepare people for my coming. Go and prepare people because I'm on my way. Make sure they're ready. And he tells these 72, and he tells us in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. The harvest is big, and the harvest is ripe. The harvest is plentiful. Remember, he's in Samaria. In John chapter 4, they had... Another time they were in Samaria, Jesus visited with the woman at the well and his disciples had gone into town to get food and they came back. 
the same region, the same enemies of the Jews. Jesus told his disciples, don't say four more months and then the harvest. Open your eyes and see the harvest is ripe. And here he is again saying, the harvest is abundant. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Of course they're few, Jesus. You just sent them away in chapter 9. Right? But he refused to entrust this work to people who were not fully committed to him. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And even today, Jesus tells us that the harvest is ready. The harvest is abundant. And God, in his grace, has made it so much easier for us today because he's brought the harvest to us. Who wants to go to Somalia? Anyone? Yeah, I didn't think so. But God, in his grace, has brought Somalis here. 82,000 Somalis live in Wisconsin and Ohio today. Not one follower of Jesus among them. 52,000 Kurds now live in Tennessee. Not a single follower of Jesus among them. 11,000 Arabs from Yemen and Saudi Arabia now live here in Michigan. Not a single believer among them. And God says, Jesus says, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. But the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest. Now, if we were going to complete that sentence, we would say, ask the Lord of the harvest to work in the hearts of those people. Ask the Lord of the harvest to work in the hearts of the Samaritans. Ask the Lord of the harvest to work in the hearts of the Kurds. Ask the Lord of the harvest to work in the hearts of the Somalis. But that's not what Jesus prays. Jesus says the harvest is ready. The problem is not out there. The problem is right here among us. Ask the Lord of the harvest to work in our hearts to raise up workers. Because the harvest is ready. How can we know that the harvest is ready? First of all, it comes from the text. First of all, we know it's ready because he said it's ready. And in verse 2, there's a subtle thing, but I don't want you to miss it. It says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the master who's in charge of the harvest, who has prepared the harvest to raise up workers. You see, as Reformed Christians, we celebrate this doctrine called election, though we sometimes make apologies for it when we talk with other Christians. But, but we can rest in that doctrine, in irresistible grace, that doctrine tells us that there are people that God has chosen for salvation. We are not responsible to convince people that they need to come to Christ. God has already chosen them. We simply need to present to them the good news of Jesus in a way that they can understand. And on this day of Pentecost we can rest assured that God has given us his spirit to empower us to do that task. 
The only question is, are we willing to do it? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God has given us everything we need. The only question is, are we willing? Are we willing to go to Wisconsin? Are we willing to go to Tennessee? Are we willing to go next door? Are we willing to go across the street? To go across the hall? And share the message of Jesus with people who don't follow him. The harvest is ready. How do we know? Because of the 114,000 Bosnian Muslims who moved to St. Louis, 114 of them now worship Jesus Christ. Of the 7,400 Arabs that came from Tunisia and now call Michigan home, 148 of them now worship Jesus Christ. Of the half million Iraqi Arabs that came to Detroit and Dearborn, over a thousand of them now worship Jesus Christ. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. If Jesus was here today, what would he say to us? Would he be impressed that we're here? Or would he send us away? And my answer to you is that he'd send us away. Either he'd send you away because you're only 90% committed. Or he'd send you away because you're 100% committed. Because those who were fully committed, fully devoted to him, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers to go and share this message. And then we get to verse 3, which we have not read. It begins with, go, I'm sending you. Scram, skedaddle, get out of here. You've sat here long enough. It's time to go out and spread this message. It's time to go out and share this good news. That's why I'm sending you the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. To empower you to proclaim this news. And so I want to challenge you this week. You know that person in your life that you've prayed for for a long time. That person, maybe it's a son or a daughter, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker. That person, I mean, you can just tell, maybe through a previous conversation, maybe by just observing them, they're not following Jesus. You've prayed for them for a long time. I want to challenge you this week. To move from verse 2 to verse 3. Go, I'm sending you. Go and, and, and invite that person to follow Jesus. Go and share with that person what Jesus has done for him or for her. Acts chapter 17. Paul is talking to the church in Athens. And he says, God has chosen the time you will live and the place you will live so that people will seek him. Think about that for a minute. That, that person that you know who doesn't follow Jesus. God chose 
the time you and that person would live. God chose to put you and that person in close proximity with one another. And it says in Acts 17, he did this so that people would seek him and find him. God put you in the life of that person so that that person could seek him and find him. I want to challenge you this week. Pentecost is for real. The Holy Spirit came. Resolve in your heart that this week you will share the message of Jesus with that person. Don't miss God's plan for your life. I mentioned Emma in our ministry update. This guy that had killed someone else and stolen his motorcycle and in the prison I've had the the privilege of discipling him. I asked him, Emma, you chose to come to this Bible study, so you were already starting to change before you came to the Bible study. What caused you to change? He pointed me to another inmate, Simon. I said, oh yeah, what did Simon do? I got to prison here. Simon observed how I act. Simon observed how I talk. And Simon told me, man, you need Jesus. (laughs) And that was it. Man, you need Jesus. Four words. Every one of us is capable of four words. Go out this week and tell someone, man, you need Jesus. And tell someone what Jesus has done for them. Let's pray. God in heaven, every one of us is sitting here today because at some point in our lives, another person shared with us what Jesus did for us. God, the Samaritans were hostile to you and they were hostile to your message and they were hostile to your messengers and yet you, the Lord of the harvest, said, the harvest is ready. And Lord, we look at groups of people today and we look at individuals today and we still want to say they're hostile to Jesus and they're going to be hostile to us. Forgive us for doubting your promises. Forgive us for disobeying your commands. Forgive us for having a divided heart, for only having 98% devotion to you. Lord, as we offered our money earlier, right now we offer to you our all. Our voices, our ears to listen to what others have to say, our feet to go across the street or to go next door, our hands to show kindness to people. We offer to you our words. Lord, I want to pray for those people that have accepted the challenge to share the gospel with someone this week. I'm not praying for you to empower them because you already have empowered them. But Lord, I pray that you will open their eyes to know the power of the Holy Spirit within them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.